0: Welcome to the podcast, Today's Voices of Conservation Science, and I'm Chris Guy. I'm your host for today's podcast, and uh, today I'm here with Ethan Lula, and he is a graduate student at Montana State University in the Department of Ecology. Ethan, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good, Chris.
0: Good. Um, Let's start off with you telling us just a little bit about yourself, kind of where you grew up, maybe where you went to school, some of your things you did uh, as you were growing up, your passions.
1: Sure. Um, so, I grew up here in Montana, in the southwest corner, a little town called Jackson, which is um, in the big hole valley, valley, situated between the Pintler Mountains, Pioneer, and the Beaver Beaverhead Mountains, West mm-hmm. Big hole. Uh Grew up hunting and fishing, pretty much. Uh, a little bit of ranching here and there. You know, pretty small school.
0: Yeah, that's I've been over in that country. That's uh, that's uh, not very populated in that area.
1: No. Yeah. No. Hometown was about 50 people if you count the cats and dogs.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, the what's nice about it is it's beautiful country, you know, and not very many people. So if people like that, that's the place to to go. Right.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: But we probably don't, folks probably don't want us advertising that.
1: No, no, it's a terrible place, lots of mosquitoes.
0: (laughs) Well, there are a lot of mosquitoes, that is true. I do know that.
1: Yeah. But Uh, anyways, I uh, came to MSU in 2008 for my undergrad, graduated with a degree in fish and wildlife management in um, 2012, and mostly went to work for agencies like Montana Fish Wildlife and Parks, did a little bit of work down in California. Before coming back in 2016, fall of 2016, for a graduate degree.
0: Yeah. um, So you've, sounds like you've spent a lot of time outdoors as a big part of your life growing up. And so I'm guessing that was instrumental in getting you interested in the conservation profession. Hugely. Yeah, and so just to to think about that, were there, uh, or or I guess unpackage that a little bit further, were there folks that were, I guess, uh, individuals or or certain things you did that were instrumental in that, that that were kind of the cornerstone of getting you interested in conservation?
1: Well, as far as people go, uh, my parents were really the big drivers behind my interest in conservation, interest in just fish and wildlife and anything outside, you know, the wild places, you know, my dad, uh, worked for, um, the fish, wildlife and parks for 20 some years. And my mom grew up in the, in the Big Hole Valley as well. And so really kind of developed a pretty good appreciation for, I guess, uh remote area of Montana. And, uh, whenever I left Montana, I kind of, I, I it just further deepened my appreciation for what I had, what, what I grew up with. You know, I, I didn't have a typical, you know, life growing up. Right.
0: Right. Living in that small community and just being so connected with the outdoors, right?
1: Yeah. Connected with the outdoors, connected with the seasons, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there wasn't this time of the year where the main recreation was doing something outside right and uh remain, that recreation and livelihood it's really was cyclical
0: i know a little bit about what you're working on and um that's very exciting i mean it's kind of a charismatic species in in you know in north america for sure and certainly in montana and can you tell us just a little bit about uh what you're working on
1: sure so i'm working on bighorn sheep uh, the bighorn sheep are my study species and partic- specifically, what I'm looking at is how bighorn sheep utilize their habitat in order to predict new areas where we can focus potential restoration and management efforts within Montana. I have eight different study populations, uh, ranging from those in the Missouri River breaks to Bear Tooth's, uh, just south of us here, to the Taylor Hill Guard Southern Madison populations, all the way to Northwest Montana of uh, south of Columbia Falls. Um, and so what I, yeah, I have GPS collars on a subset of animals, uh, 15 in, uh, adult females in each population. And those collars collect location information every four hours and stay on for about two years before they um, fall off the animal and we go and retrieve the data. And from that, I can see, I, I can get a sense of how bighorn sheep are using uh, the landscape the differing, differing landscapes and try to model, uh, areas where they may be, where those characteristics line up.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so just backtracking just a little bit and, and, um, maybe you mentioned it but for the listeners just to get a feel for why is it important to restore bighorn sheep? Maybe just a a little bit on the background of that.
1: Sure. So in the, mid to late 1800s with westward expansion, all the ungulate populations, and ungulates I mean elk, mule deer, pronghorn, uh, bighorn sheep, all these populations experienced pretty dramatic declines, uh, you know, over harvest disease competition with livestock, pretty much wiped out a lot of our, uh, our, our ungulate populations here within Montana. And it wasn't until the mid or early early 1900s that a real conservation effort began you know focused on translocations uh, harvest regulation you know uh, habitat protection mm-hmm. that the, those measures were put in place to restore these species and now we have you know great populations of elk mule deer and antelope that people in within Montana and across the west can really enjoy mm-hmm. but compared to those bighorn sheep really have not seen similar levels of restoration success. Um, Most of, I mean, many populations in Montana, you know, are small, isolated from one another. When I say small, I mean, less than a hundred individuals and uh, they're, you know, the same efforts, the same translocation measures, you know, harvest regulations, those we've been doing that since the thirties and we just haven't seen a similar level of rebound. Hmm. For, so, for the
0: bighorn sheep compared to, to like what you were saying earlier, the elk and, and
1: the deer. And and why
0: is that the case? Why has it been so difficult with bighorn sheep?
1: Well, we really don't understand a lot of the factors influencing bighorn sheep populations. You know, they certainly do uh, struggle with disease, but that's only one piece of a much broader, bigger puzzle. You know, one of the focus of my research is on the habitat. Maybe there's something that has to do with the landscapes that they're occupying, the habitat that they're on, that influences how they, how populations <clears throat> utilize those landscapes, and in turn, you know, persist.
0: It's been difficult trying to get the bighorn sheep reestablished because of some of these other mechanisms you're talking about. You know, and one is pneumonia, but I, I think you really hit it on the head. That's part of why you're doing this research is trying to figure out why they haven't been successful. Right. And is it related to some landscape level features?
1: Exactly. So that's something that I, so that's part of what I'm looking at Mm -hmm. is why we've got eight populations. We're looking at how the landscape may be influencing Mm -hmm. bighorn sheep populations and influencing their demographics and vital rates, uh, basically their performance.
0: Right. And so you're you have these GPS collars on them yep. and and then you can take those locations from the from the bighorn sheep and map that on habitat and kind of see what habitat they're using and then trying to determine if that habitat is limiting? Is that what you're we is that part of it?
1: That is that is part of it. Uh and it's also Looking at what parts of habitat, you know, what drivers within a landscape are actually influencing how those herds or populations use that landscape. Mm-hmm. So something like, you know, canopy cover can be a good metric for visibility, things like that. Do they need to do bighorn sheep need to see how rugged is the terrain? You can use, you know, various elevational um remotely sensed metrics. Mm-hmm. Things like that to get to get to get try to get a sense of what what is influencing how bighorn sheep use that landscape or so that was poorly worded to get a better sense of why bighorn sheep are using the landscape mm-hmm. characteristics that they are yeah um but
0: So, I'm here with Ethan Lula, and he's a graduate student at Montana State University in the Department of Ecology working on bighorn sheep in southwest Montana. So, Ethan, just thinking about how bighorn sheep use the landscape and your study, um, kind of mapping where they go and what habitat they're using, are there, and I know this is a little bit beyond what you're studying, but just thinking about how managers might go and alter the habitat, or maybe would they put bighorn sheep in habitat that's not currently occupied to restore the populations. So let me just, if, if bighorn sheep use, um, you know, steep slopes with, uh, you know, with some sagebrush or something, I know that sounds, might sound ridiculous to you, but if that's the case, then, how do you manage for that or how would FWP or the park service or some entity manage for that?
1: So that's really one of the big, um, what should I say? It's one of the big objectives. It's one of the tools that I want to derive from my research is I want to model how bighorn sheep are currently using the landscape and then be able to extrapolate those models into areas where bighorn sheep are not currently there maybe they were there historically uh, but we don't know if those if that area is even capable of supporting bighorn sheep populations anymore so what i do is i build these models off based off of where bighorn sheep currently are what care, landscape characteristics they're currently using and take that information and, and basically look at those you know sagebrush hill rocky knob mm-hmm. and see to ca- calculate a probability of that animal being there so what and uh, what managers will be able to do, or hopefully will be able to do, is they'll be able to use this tool to look at a area or a piece of a landscape and say, you know, I think bighorn sheep should be here. Look at this tool and say, you know what, it's got a pretty good chance, based off of what we know about current bighorn sheep movements and distributions, mm-hmm. of actually supporting a population here, versus prior, I mean... You know, generally the rule of thumb has been, if it looks like bighorn sheep habitat, it must be be bighorn sheep habitat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm just sitting here thinking, if it's bighorn sheep habitat, why aren't bighorn sheep there? And I think I know the answer to this because of fragmentation of habitats limiting the dispersal of bighorn sheep, how they move around the landscape because of anthropogenic kind of – um, uses of the of the landscape, roads, those kinds of things that are blocking block migration corridors.
1: So that's one one option that certainly does play a, play a factor. But we've seen, I mean, we see areas. Just take the southern Madison, for example, where you know we have a population at the southern end that that really isn't hasn't expanded into you know the remainder of the Madison range. You know, which is very good bighorn sheep habitat, mm-hmm. not really fragmented. There's a couple of different reasons that bighorn sheep may not be expanding. And one is they just may, naturally may not have that tendency to explore and disperse. Uh, they may take a lot. They're, they have high natal um, home site fidelity, mm-hmm. you know, uh, strong connections with their mothers. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, that home range doesn't really change unless exploration happens, which most use um ewes don't do for the most part some young rams may but it's not it doesn't occur on the same level as like elk do things like that um secondly is the landscape may have changed uh, not just directly from like building a road or anything like that but with uh forest management we may have something like too much the visibility may not be there not even go prior to forest management i mean these animals have been around since you know, the gla- glaciation when there was a lot less tree cover right, right. back in the day. So landscapes just may not be capable mm-hmm. of supporting them anymore. We, I I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just one of the thoughts.
0: Right. Yeah. They're an amazing animal. I was just reflecting a little bit on, um, watching some, uh, the rut, uh, in, in Yellowstone there, right. As you come in the North entrance and, Got some amazing photos of those rams just going after it right there. It's uh, they're an amazing animal. <clears throat> so you've kind of touched on this, I think a little bit, but just to re maybe you could reiterate for us, what would be the best thing you could discover in your research? You know, if you had a crystal ball kind of looking into the future, what's the best thing you could, you could discover or provide to agencies to help. Uh, manage bighorn sheep
1: well what i could provide to to agencies would be a use uh, an at least an accurate model what i could yeah what i could provide to agencies is an accurate model that will hopefully show areas that have previously not been considered for restoration um hot spots little you know within a mountain range Mm -hmm. areas where all the, re- all the factors there that are influencing bighorn sheep are present on a landscape and really kind of start some man- new management, new restoration efforts.
0: And so restoration then, if, if you did provide that would be taking some sheep from a, uh, what I might call a, a, a population that has a lot of, um, sheep in it, then they could take a few of those and move them to that new habitat. Is that what they do? Yeah. Translocation. Yep. Okay. Yeah translocating sheep yep and then are there times that the sheep just are like uh this isn't working i'm headed back
1: so yes (laughs) (laughs) yes as a matter of fact uh you know there's been some work done one of the again one of the problems with bighorn sheep uh, restoration has been that many of the translocations fail Mm -hmm. or are just result in these really small populations that just kind of linger in an area and never really do much. And so, and even still, still to this day, I mean, we're doing some translocations and uh, we're doing short short range locations down in the Madison range, Madison drainage, again, mm-hmm. the taylor Hillgard population, where we're trying to build what's called a metapopulation structure, which is a group of locally, you know, local populations that have some level of interconnectedness between them. Mm-hmm. And that's what bighorn sheep are historically believed to have occurred on the landscape with – as, excuse me. So we do find that many of them come back after a translocation. However, we're seeing increasing proportions with subsequent translocation efforts of increasing proportions of sheep stain. So it's – again, this is all fairly new. Right. Where –
0: sorry, you can't you don't really know whether is it is it the habitat they didn't like, but it looks like it's not the habitat it's just they coming back to some kind of they have that strong site fidelity like you were saying earlier yes, yeah, so that's what yeah. yep exactly okay. well, I know you work in some absolutely beautiful locations you grew up in a beautiful location, so you're a lucky individual, I think so <laughs> uh the last question we like to have a little fun with is um What's your favorite animal or plant, or you can name an animal and a plant if you want.
1: <laughs> well, animal that one's a hard one, but I've always really liked the gray jay, um, whiskey jack, uh huh, camp robber, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Yeah, they've uh, they've always been a good omen when hunting. You know, <laughs> they'll find a gut pile from an elk quicker than you can blink, and uh, they've just. Uh, yeah, they've been there since I was a little kid. Uh-huh. Every time I've had good experiences in the woods, you know, they're, they're nearby. Yeah. And so they're, 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 they're probably my favorite. They're smart.
0: Yeah. Have a little bit of a sass to
1: them. Oh yeah. 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 No, I've, <laughs> I have, uh, I have photographs, you know, haven't taken peanuts out of my hand and things yeah. like that, you know, but they're yeah. very smart.
0: Yeah. That's good. So, Ethan, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today and good luck in your studies at Montana State University and your research on bighorn sheep. Thanks for listening to, to today's Voices of Conservation Science. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher. And please spread the word about this podcast.